the Game of Business podcast. Proximity is power. Registration for our executive boardroom is still open. To learn more, click the link in the description of this episode. Today, I am very honored to have as my guest, Presley Hambrick. Presley um, has been a business mentor for over 15 years. He is currently uh, in a role where he buys and builds multifamily real estate. Uh, he's been married for 15 years. He has three children, and I'm really excited to have him here today because as an entrepreneur operating at this level, he's had the he's had a lot of opportunities to learn lessons the easy way and the hard way. And so we'll dive into that a little bit. And Presley, thanks for coming here today. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had an opportunity to speak last night for a little bit and I really enjoyed our conversation and, but that was more focused on me. And today I'm excited because I get to focus on you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to give you a good show, man. You did an amazing <laughs> job. Today, so I'll try to my game up for you. Oh, uh, you got all kinds of game. I know that. So tell me a little bit about, um, your entrepreneurial experience. Where did it start and how did you get from where you started to where you are today? Okay, so we're going to have to do a part two and part three of your podcast. <laughs> to answer that question. I'll, I'll keep it short as possible. <clears throat> um, I was born into entrepreneurship. So everyone on my dad's side was an entrepreneur. <clears throat> my grandparents had retired by the time I was born. Um, they owned a 13-unit and 50-unit um, apartment building. Uh, my dad owned a construction company. So off off record, I was really working about four or five years old, but I was helping my dad sweep, you know, just really stuff just to, you know, keep me busy. But at the age of six and seven is when he really started teaching me uh, skills. So at seven years old, I was already putting up drywall, laying tiles, sweating copper pipes, or he was teaching me how to sweat pipes because, you know, you have to use a torch. So I wasn't able yeah. to use a torch by myself. Um, showing me the basis of uh, basics of electrical um, I poured my first driveway at eight years old for one of our buildings. Um, so the entrepreneurship bug came really early because that's what I was born into. Um, real estate. So three things that I always teach, real estate, cars, and I'm a pilot as well. Um, those three things, if, if you ever get uh, involved in any of those three things, it's really hard to shake them. So I've been in this world basically my whole life. I've touched on many different industries, brokering mortgage notes, flipping homes, wholesaling, developing. And yeah, it, it was kind of, uh, it's in my blood. Yeah. I, I share a similar background. My dad was, uh, had a manufacturing business um, and in Southern California. And uh, his claim to fame according to him was that he's got more individual component parts left over on the moon than any other company in the country. And wow. I had the opportunity to go to that NASA exhibit here about a year ago. And I, you know, a lot of the, the rocketry that's left over in there from the Apollo days was because the last mission got scrapped. And so I'm in this museum and I look up and I see the lunar lander up there on the ceiling. I went, my dad's up there. My dad passed wow. in 2014. So I had this surreal moment. I didn't go there thinking about that, but when I saw it, I just felt this connection, you know? So it's yeah. beautiful. I love your story because one of the things I see with entrepreneurs, so I've got a master's degree. I, I, I think you've got a, a degree as well, right? 
I have I have a degree of part. It's a really quick funny story. Um, I chose not to go to school. I, I did go to college for a semester, um, straight A's, all that stuff, dropped out. And so I went to the school of hard knocks. And going and experiencing so many things, I would always, my wife either would hear me speak about different subjects, returns, percentages, equations, so on and so forth, because that's stuff that you have to know when you're in a specific industry. And she just graduated with her fourth degree. She just graduated um, in May with a degree, uh, MBA from Rice. And as she's going through her MBA, she's like, you taught me all of this stuff the, the whole time I've been going to school. I'm like, yeah. This is my, I was, I was getting to my point on this because listening to the way your dad trained you. So I wasn't, I didn't spend a lot of time around my dad other than the summers, but when my son went off to school, he's going to play baseball. And after, after a couple months, he said, I don't think I want to play baseball anymore. I said, you're going to tell the coach you're quitting. He goes, yep. I go, okay. And at the end of the semester, you're going to quit and go get a job. He's like, what? I'm like, look, I'm going to teach you more about business than any school ever will. And you're going to elevate faster and you're not going to end up in debt. And I'm not going to pay somebody that, that knows less about business than I do to teach you. So I, so I I didn't, you know, I, I said what I said because I, I, I made an assumption about you apologies, but I love that you went to the school of hard knocks and you learned by doing, because that's the way I learned. I mean, I had this MBA where they teach you income statements, balance sheets, and all that stuff. But until I got my own business and I had to figure that out on my own and put it into practice, that's when that's when reality set in. Oh, now I can read a financial statement as if I'm reading a book. Right. An MBA doesn't give you that. It just doesn't. At least it didn't give it for me. Right. Yeah. So I love this about you that you 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 had a father that poured into you and look mm-hmm. at the result. Mm-hmm. Yep, I totally agree. My um I remember I wrote uh one of my first business plans and something about maybe 60 pages. And it took me eight months to put that business plan together. And, you know, now I see, you know, I know other people who are going to school, getting their master's in, uh, in business or uh, MBAs, and they're having to do the same thing and they're clueless. I'm like, you, 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 you're learning this because you have to get a, get a good grade, but you're not as focused on the details. It's more of, let me put something on paper that I think the teacher give me a good grade for. But when we do it, you know, you know, you can write a business plan in the business to make a billion dollars in the first year. No problems, no question that. I did I did the market survey and, and everything looks great. But in real life, if those numbers aren't true and you haven't done your homework, you will fail really quick. So Right. Right. So you you lead me right into the next question. So there's no straight lines in nature. There's no, hey, you're born and you end up with a billion dollars and it was a straight line from zero to a billion. There's times where the rocket crashes on the launch pad, launches, crashes halfway up. Hey, doesn't make it back. All these kind of things, right? What I'm getting at is entrepreneurs, we we fail. And I don't even look at it as a, the only way we really fail is we don't extract a lesson. So I, I'd like you to take me and the audience here through a time where the rocket ship didn't launch or it didn't go the way you expected. And you face those challenges and what were the lessons you learned and how did you overcome it? 
Oh man. Okay. So, um, short backstory, born into an entrepreneurship family, um, wanted to spread my wings. So I got away from real estate, just being more, uh, rebellious than anything, you know, to myself. So I, I wanted to prove to myself that I can do something other than what I was taught. So I went into uh, the tech industry and renewable energies. About 2019, uh, remember that real estate bug doesn't go away. So I kept feeling I need I need to get back where what I love. I love real estate, love real estate, cars and airplanes. So 2019, I switched back into real estate. The one reason I got out of real estate is I did not want to be in a rat race or a hustle. I didn't want to flip a house, make 50 grand, and then have to find another house to flip. So I said, it's not giving me this passive income and the scalability that I want. Um, and then I found multifamily. Funny enough, I grew up around multifamily, but for whatever reason, for the how many ever decades, it eluded me and I rediscovered it. So I switched back into, uh, I switched into uh, multifamily and 2019 when everyone was uh, syndicating deals, meaning they found the deal, they found the investors, they brought everything together. They were doing what's called uh, stabilized uh, assets. They were doing, they were buying uh, apartment buildings that had been there for 10 years, 20 years and just needed renovating or rehabbing. And I live in Houston. And the market is ridiculously hot. And when I underwrote the deals, the numbers never made sense. And I'm like, how are these people buying these, buying these deals? The deals came back. Um, so I focused on, in 2019, um, a development. And it was a 42-acre development. And when I underwrote the numbers, the numbers were amazing. The returns were um, over 30%, which never happens in our world. I didn't even advertise it at 30% because for the people who are used to seeing our numbers in, in our industry, 18, 20 is a good number. 30 is not really realistic unless you've already closed on a deal, and that's the actual number. So this deal, just to give you uh, an understanding of how amazing it was and how surefire it was, there is a developer literally across the street who has probably combined 200 acres um, of development. 100 acres of that will be a medical, high-end medical, medical plazas, uh, anchor hospitals, the, the whole nine, hotels, fine dining. And then you have the other side of the development where it's um, oil and gas and convention center and it's the, it, and it's also um, a C-plus area currently. The developer's building for a class B, B-plus area. So I'm like, I not only have the opportunity to develop what we call uh, a cap rate compression, which basically means you're, you're building something at this level, let's say um, poor, the poor um, uh, blue-collar type income, to uh, a white collar income, but you're paying for it as a, a blue collar asset, a, set, a class C, C plus asset. So did all of that. We started uh, paying for feasibilities, uh, but because of my background, I was able to create the, uh, what we call an offering memorandum. 
Um, that's what we call it in the industry. It's not really an offering memorandum because that's a securities term. Uh, but we call it an OM and met with our partners and investors. And they said, hey, this looks good. It looks, you've obviously, you know, have a lot of experience in this, um, but you're still a, a little guy, which, yes, my name is out on any billboards or buildings. They said, go ahead and um, we need you to pay for uh, a company, a notable company to back this and to do their own study. So paid tons of money for that. Same thing, paid tons of money for a market study. So we got the market study, feasibility study. We have uh, financial modeling done by one of the most uh, recognizable, notable people in the industry uh, do their part. So we're pouring all this money into, uh, we would probably have built a development uh, for 120 million. Um, probably could have sold it for about 300 million, and it was in the opportunity zone. So we had all these tax credits, all of this um, compression of uh, return, and it was just an absolutely amazing deal. When we would pitch investors to come on a, a, and invest in our in our um, um, investment, they would drool. They they one drew because the project was so amazing and it wasn't based off of my back. It was based off of what the developer was doing. He was just lifting all the you know the tide. Um, and then the 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 weather started to turn. Uh, other people because of who we were bringing into this deal is we have a very small community. Um, it's not a lot of people that buy apartments or develop them. Um, two things started happening. First thing is uh, other people and other investors that we spoke to started to find out about this property and they started buying the land around us. So we went from maybe 600 units that is currently there and we were going to build another 300 unit uh, luxury property, luxury asset that is not there to almost overnight having almost an additional thousand units, three other buildings. So this little bitty area now has to uh, encompass all of these new, new apartments and the developer had slowed down on their track. So instead of being developed in a year or two, they're probably going to be somewhere around two years, three years. So we would have probably 75 million in an apartment with nobody, no, no workers or anything. So the smart thing to do for our investors was to walk away from the deal um, walk away from a potential $100 million profit. And the way that we deal with that is we are building machines and systems. There will be another deal like this somewhere. We're in Texas, so it's, there are plenty of areas where a similar situation is occurring. You just have to find it. But it was a very tough thing. It took many, many meetings uh, with investors and many meetings with um, our, our construction and architects to really have uh, consensus, okay, the right thing to do for us and for our investors is to walk away, but it was very, very difficult to walk away from a hundred million dollar profit. Yeah, absolutely. But the hundred million dollar profit wouldn't have been there based on the changing conditions. So if we were backed by a billion dollar fund and we could stand to lose, you know, maybe five or 10 million um, within the, um, uh, the scale up per period, we would be okay. We would just get it on the back end. Mm -hmm. um, but as new investors at a level this high, it's, it's a risk that we didn't want to take. 
So yeah, if we had a billion and we could lose, you know, and inject, you know, a million dollars a year until they finish doing their thing, just eventually it'll be a good deal, but it's just too risky. Right. So what was the lesson or your big takeaway from, from that at the end of it? Sometimes when you're doing business, it doesn't matter how much research you do, um, how prepared you are, um, the rug can still be pulled from under you. And it is not meant to be a, um, don't look at it as failure. Look at it as, well, one, life just happens. You know, whether whether you're religious or superstitious, good things don't always happen all the time. Bad things also don't happen um, to everyone all the time. This is life. And the most important and amazing thing about life is the journey. So we did our due diligence, you know, we did as much prepping as possible, but um, it still didn't go in our favor. And it could be, who knows, it might be a tornado that comes down, you know, down that area uh, in a couple of years and it saved us. So uh, the lesson learned is stick to what your mission is and what your objective is. Our objective and mission is to build a system um, and a system that succeeds. And if you're, we, we have a few individuals in our industry that will go into an investment for the sake of going into the investment for fees. And we do not want to be a group like that. We want to go into an investment and purchase and develop assets because it's going to give a return to our investors. And then us, we pay our investors first and then we pay ourselves because we want the investors to come back. So, um, even though it's not a really deep sentimental thing, it's life happens, understand it, move forward. It's nothing against you. And if it is something that you know you could have done better, figure that out. Um, I always say speak to counsel. So whoever your counsel it is, it could be a wife, husband, family member, and your teammates. So seek counsel. Make sure everything you're doing is at the best of your ability and your, your skill set and keep moving. Well, the thing I... I, uh, and, and without using the word failure, let's call it setbacks. When, when we, when, when we're entrepreneurs and we're faced with setbacks, um, and we hustled and you tried everything you could to make that happen. And at the end of the day, you said, well, we got to pull the plug on this. You learned enough about that so that the next time that big deal comes, you're going to shorten the amount of time it takes to get from point A to point B to pull that plug or execute that yeah. deal. My imagination is telling me too that uh, the investors that you bring in are going to have different contracts that need to be signed prior to uh, letting them know where the investment property is and whatnot. So the word can't get out on the street and, and hose you, right? So had this thing yeah. been... You know, the, the, just listening to your story, my imagination is if we had collapsed time from the time we started talking to these investors, to the time we started digging ground, you wouldn't have had this this other uh, challenge arise. And right. so that's what that's the thing with with business and the and the successful entrepreneurs are the ones that are going to extract the lesson from the setback mm -hmm. and use it going forward. So um, tell me then inside of the real estate space, what are you seeing these days? Um, I know, I know the rates are kind of uh, 
have been rising and and what's that done for you in the multifamily space and where are you projecting you're going to be doing over the course of the next uh, six to 12 months? Um, very interesting. Um, so once the interest rates started rising, the first two months, um, what we call deal flow, that deal flow is how many deals we see come across our desk, use, you know, via email, sometimes phone calls it almost dried up. So what that means in layman's terms is people um, stop trying to sell their apartment um, or we call it multifamily. Um, I thought it was gonna last for a while. I thought it was gonna be, you know, maybe I get a deal here and there. Um, I typically, I can get five to 20 deals a day, which is a lot, you know, in the multifamily space. And they're usually 50 units up to sometimes 1,500 units or apartment, um, individual apartment doors. After month two, deal flow picked up significantly. Um, so the shift is uh, very, very much needed, especially here in the sun, sun Belt as far as the rise in interest rate. Everything filters down to me anyway, um, to multifamily. So if you have um, a nice house and the market's going bad and you get laid off, you typically go to an apartment, you know, if you don't have family or friends that you could, you know, stay with. But you're not going to stay with friends for, you know, a year or two years, couple of years, or however long the, uh, the time it takes you to get back to your feet. So you're either going to stay with family um, or you're going to downsize to an apartment. And good times when people are doing better you have those who go from lower end apartments to nicer apartments. And you have some who split off and, and buy homes and that's amazing. And, uh, you know, we kind of dab in that space as well, but everything always filters from top down and from bottom up to multifamily. So deal flow is high right now, meaning a lot of people are trying to sell, um, but it's cooled the market down. So the prices are very, very slowly starting to come where um, they're correct. Um, for the most part, if you're in a good area, if you buy a, a, a real estate asset and you keep it long enough, you'll eventually come out on top. But we don't tend to stay in our investment more than five to seven years. Um, we're working on a real estate um a real estate investment fund, um, a hundred million dollar real estate investment fund, that whole period to be 10 years. But for most of the properties, we really don't want to hold them too much more than five years if we don't have to. So what's the reason the market, behind what, what's your reasoning behind that? Um, returns. So our investors look at what's called an IRR, that's an inter, internal uh, rate of return. And basically that says if I borrow a dollar from you and you give me a dollar back. Um, you have a return like this. But if uh, I borrow that same dollar and you get a dollar back over 20 years, the, the return is essentially Five. zero. Right. So the fact that we can give our investors their return back, <clears throat> the higher that return is for them, and then they can move that into another property. What's even better is once they sell that property, they can call you, set up the trust, and then... <laughs> their own time to, to buy the next property. Um, but it's just a return thing. 
Um, every investor or um, private equity firm or syndication, um, they all have their different targets as far as uh, how they want to get their returns. We are um, thinking about setting up another entity that does do holds um, and just has a long-term um, equity play. Mm -hmm. um, but on our end, you want to keep it more than two years because now the, uh, the IRS considers your real estate um, transaction an investment because before then it's a business. So if you're flipping homes, real estate, uh, the IRS doesn't consider that um, any kind of investment. They just consider it a business. So over two years and typically less than five years as possible. What What is the, your target return rate the, your, when you go into these projects? Uh, a good return rate is about 18%. Um, in real life, um, when the numbers really cool down. So here's the problem. Between 2019 and the end of 2020, let, let's say right before the rates went back up, um, investors really didn't want to see anything that was less than 18% IRR. Um, but that was because the market was such um, a hot market, especially for multifamily. I would say anything above um, a 15%, 14, 15% is respectable. Um, and then we would just, we would, we would pitch a 15% return and try to deliver um, a 20% return or better. Okay. Um, also, so that's where, that's where the five to seven year hold is, depending on whether you're making 15 or 20%. Yeah. That's what, that's where you determine, okay, we, we've got our money back from our initial investment. Now we sell it and we take our gain off of there. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that the concept? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great. That's great. I I've uh, had the opportunity. I've flirted with, with getting into groups like yours before, and I, I never have actually done it. I've, I've went other, other areas and other ways. I think for me at the time, it was when I got into these, it was just, um, I wanted to have more control. Mm -hmm. um, but as, as I'm uh, growing into other areas, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be the expert in everything. I want to find the experts that can say, Hey, here, here it is. And they've got a proven track record of making it happen. Then, then I can, I can, you know, put it in and forget it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so what we do is definitely not a one person, um, one person industry. We, or our team, I should say. So we, um, obviously, you know, you, you said already that I've been uh, mentoring and teaching for over 15 years. Um, so when I have individuals that I'm pouring into and teaching about uh, multifamily, I tell the first thing you need to do is understand your assignment. What are you good at? Are you good at being a person on the podcast and talking to investors and, um, and, and relaying information to investors? Or are you the numbers person or are you the person who has a lot of construction experience? But, and we all wear several hats. I wear about three or four hats. Um, and my partner wears uh, a couple hats as well. But first figure out who you are and then find at least one other person who can help because this is not a one person uh, show here. Sure. So now I'm going to bring this back around to your family because you're married um, mm -hmm. and you have three children. And you're wearing multi hats inside of a business, right? And right. so, multi <laughs> multi businesses. So, how are you making sure, Presley, that you're showing up uh, for your family and you're not just the ATM machine? 
Because yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of men especially, we they they work their butts off to to provide a standard of living, essentially becoming the ATM machine. And then their family kind of despises them because they're never around. They don't pour any time into their family. Uh, and I'm and I'm not gathering that from you. So what do you do to make right. sure that you're keeping the uh, most important thing, the most important thing? Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, great question. So um, I have three kids. I have uh, a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a two-year-old. <laughs> Life so, changes, yeah. brother. <laughs> and, yeah, that's why I have uh, pressing my eye now. He got up about uh, <laughs> two o'clock in the morning, kicked in our door, and said, Hi. He jumped in our bed. So he kind of been up here too. Um, so, with the 11 year old and a 14 year old, I have a saying in my house uh, when I talk to my kids I don't care what you do, change the world. You are, so I'm very blessed. Um, that my older two, I don't know about the, the two-year-old yet, but my older two, their IQs are ridiculous. My 11-year-old reads three or four grade levels above his age, and my 14-year-old is the only person I've ever known to get a perfect score on um, the STAR test, which is, you know, the, the state uh, school exam. And the 11-year-old and the, the 14-year-old, since they were babies up until... Um, maybe about four years ago, they were always under my wing. So when I had, when I was meeting with investors, I had strollers and, you know, um, uh, car seats with me and I raised them to be able to be in an environment and one, uh, keep them quiet. And when I was younger, I used to say that that's because it's me because they didn't have a choice that, um, because I was such an amazing father that they know how to uh, keep quiet during a meeting. Because I went to a, a couple of high-level meetings with them. Um, they would always say, man, your kids are very well behaved. Yeah, it's just bad. With this two-year-old, I understand it was not me at all. I'm lucked out. Because if I take this two-year-old anywhere, he don't care who you are. He's going to do what he's going to do. Um, so I was very blessed to be able to bring them in environment um, and spend time with them. Also, I made sure um, because I, I had the time freedom as well that I was pouring as much as I could into them. So we would go to concertos um, to because uh, I love classical music. And at the time, both of my, my older two were playing the violin um, or we would just go to the park and ride our bikes to the park. And we would do this, you know, a couple times a week. Um, now that they're older and they're hermits inside of their, their man cave called their bedroom and I don't see them, we do what's called a father Sunday. Mm -hmm. And it initially, it was, um, both of them on the same day. And then I started, I started to see my, at the time it was probably 11 or 12, my oldest start to mature more as a man. So I said, you know what I need to do? I need to separate this. So I try to do Father Sunday uh, for both of them on separate days. And if I am running around too much, I will just scoop one of them up and just, just ride with me. My oldest rode with me for the last two days, just doing stuff. And we didn't go to the movies. We went to the movies last week, but we didn't go to the movies yesterday or the day before that. But it was just the fact that, hey, I'm here. 
So if it was something that you needed to ask me or have a conversation with, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm right next to you. So I just try to inject that time. Oh, we also do, uh, we've been doing family movie nights for the past three, four years. So for three years straight, every Friday, unless I'm out of town, we have pizza. Um, I buy everybody ice cream. I buy everybody their drink of choice. Me and my wife have uh, Coca-Colas and my kids have, uh, my oldest is where he drinks uh, tea, cold tea, and the baby drinks, or the, the, the middle kid now drinks Gatorade. Um, and we watch a movie. Well, now that they're kind of teenagers, they eat and go upstairs. But every Friday, he knows mom and dad is here. We're going to have pizza and ice cream and soda. So if they want to enjoy a movie, you know, downstairs in the family room, they can. But um, I also have that opportunity with them as well. That, that's I want to, I want to bring, I, I know I do daddy daughter dates, right? I have two daughters oh, and, amazing. and, and when, when I have an older son and with him, I was, the, I coached his sports team. So that was our dates. Right. Um, yeah. but it's so important, but so inside, I got a couple of questions about this family thing. Mm -hmm. So you stepping up and showing up as a father sounds like you've, you've always done that, but how does that show up inside your relationship with your wife? The fact that you do that. Oh man, my well, funny. My wife, uh, when I met my wife, mind you, my wife was nineteen, I was twenty. But at twenty years old, I had already, you know, full entrepreneur, blown all that stuff. <laughs> I hadn't done anything successful. My wife's mom was like, um, "He's a really good guy. Um, he's a dreamer, <laughs> but he's a really good guy. He's either gonna make it, <laughs> or he's gonna be a dreamer forever." But you got to understand that about him. So my wife has always understood, like I said, I think off air with you, um, I have business cards at seven. I have never not been like this. My wife will tell you my perfect ideal date is for us to go out to dinner and talk business, which, you know, it's not the most romantic thing to her. I only think business. I don't do anything else that does not pertain to business. That's why you uh, and I need to go out to dinner and, and you need to talk about some different stuff with her, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So focus on you and, and give her uh, the, the wine and dine. Um, I have, I, I have uh, the most amazing wife in the entire world. My wife lets me, she lets me do me <clears throat> because she understands that um, I am attempting to build a life for us that we've never had. She's from Detroit. Um, I'm kind of half Detroit, half Houston. Um, I went back and forth my entire life. And we're in her dream house now. Um, I was able to buy her uh, a brand new BMW truck for her, her rice graduation. Um, but I'm like, this is just a start because jets are really expensive and I want one. And I'm not materialistic, which is very contradicting to say, you know, how my background looks and the things that I'm talking about. I think that's one of the things that's hindered me from being as successful as I want to be is I've never chased money. Um, I've only chased the definition of success, which is accomplishing that thing that you're trying to accomplish. I've never put, you know, uh, I've never really chased money itself. But to answer your question about my wife, um, and it took a while. It took a lot of us, us both maturing. Um, I'm very, very blessed. I've never had any, like, cheating incidents. My wife does not worry about me with women. 
Um, so if I'm out super duper late, that's not the question on her mind. Is If I do get in trouble, it's a safety thing. Um, for our work cars and real estate events, sometimes I come home at 2 o'clock in the morning and it's not, you know, what were you doing? It's, they people are drunk. I really would like if you can get here a little bit earlier. But she just gives me peace and she lets me, she lets me work. That's beautiful. Last piece I want to touch on. So you, you, you are educated in the school of hard knocks by your father. Your wife's got four degrees, recently the MBA from Rice, right? You've got two children that are tipping, creating, setting the curve and pissing everybody else off, <laughs> right? What is what are you want your what do you want your ch older children to do are, are they going to follow dad's path they're going to follow mom's path um so currently we have told my oldest that he's going to be a neurosurgeon that you've, comes to from, you've told him he hasn't decided that's what he wants to do he doesn't have a choice no he doesn't have a choice because um the okay so backstory when we had to get a uh, IQ test done to get him into a school, we found out he was like the smartest person in the house. Um, <laughs> the examiner said, showed us his results and said, um, your child is highly gifted in this, but that's not his strength. And it was like every area was like, okay, we get it. He's smart. What is he good in? And then at the bottom, um, she said he's he's really gifted in anything artistic or uh, creative. And so he has this brain that he doesn't use. We bought, so he was wrong at the time. So we bought him all kind of uh, professional pencil box sets and everything that you can think of, of easel, easels and everything, paintbrushes, because we wanted to be able to um, help flourish his creativity. And he would draw a couple things and it, you know, would fizzle out. Same thing with the violin. Um, amazing in a violin. He, he uh, played for a congressman. His school just had amazing events that he was able to participate in. And he's, he's one of those kids that he's either going to change humanity or he's going to be the genius in our basement that works at Walmart. So we're trying to keep him away from that. So for my wife's background in the hospital system, she was like, he has a brain of a doctor. So I said, cool, neurosurgeon. My middle kid um, is my replica. He loves cars more than I do. He's, it's funny, when we leave, on a, almost on a daily basis, he actually takes a picture and a video of my car. And I'm like, this was cute, like the first month you did this, but I know daddy has a pretty cool car. But you don't have to record this, but he's, he's my twin. I spit him out. He is probably going to walk in my footsteps. Um, he, his temperament, how hyper he is, how he thinks, everything is a replica of me. Um, the two-year-old, I have no clue. He has the – he's currently modeling the behavior of our middle kid, but it's too early to really see what he's going to do. So middle kid, probably an investor. Um, he just – he's very quick with it. Um, and an older kid, currently a neurosurgeon, until he finds something that he's passionate about, he can cook better than everybody in the house. So he might be a chef. So he's so very we'll logical and, and within the box kind of thinking. And the second kid's the more the art, the, the, uh, 
visionary. Yeah, yeah. My my oldest is a a forty five year old, fourteen year old. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey Presley, what are some what's a parting shot you'd want to leave uh, a group of business people and entrepreneurs with? Uh, if you could if you could put it on a bumper sticker, what would you like to to leave us with? Oh man, I, I, that's a lot. But if I have to put it on a bumper sticker, um, invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. Um, some of these books are mine. Some of these books are, are my wife. Um, I honestly have paper books to have them if I want to refer to them. I don't sit still long enough to read. I do Audible, so my Audible catalog is amazing. Yep. Um, Every investor that I know in my sphere who does well um, has spent six figures in either coaching or mastermind. Um, I've went to more conferences this year. I have been than I've been in my entire life. Probably every other month, if not every month, um, or sometimes every couple of weeks, I was at a conference somewhere in another state. Um, but if you invest in yourself, no matter if it's art or real estate or quantum physics, because um, I'm a nerd, I have some nerd books up here as well, um, the return that is best given is going to be the return from yourself and uh, in yourself. So, yeah, invest in yourself and then uh, invest in others for free. That's that's beautiful. Uh, Presley, thanks for your time, man. It's great uh, sitting down back to back days, learning more about you and just and just connecting. Uh, it, it's awesome to for me. I love being able to meet with other powerful entrepreneurs and you, my friend, are definitely one of them. And I look forward to uh, getting to know you further over the course of the next next year or so or more since we're here I, I hear a plane time. ride coming soon. That's, that's what I hear. That's that? <laughs> that I hear a plane ride coming soon. <laughs> well, so just so you know, I grew up with a father who owned his own airplane. Um, so I started flying. I actually flew a Cessna by myself when I was seven, not solo, but he did this thing where um, he, he turned the plane around, got us a different altitude, showed me all the gauges and said, I need this plane to be going this point on the compass with this altitude wow. and I'm going to take a nap. And then he pretended to fall asleep I couldn't see out the windshield because I'm seven and I'm, I'm getting right. this, you know, up and down. And then he showed me how to flip the autopilot on. Then I did it. And I'm like, wake up, wake up, wake up. And he, you know, he was so oh, proud wow. because I, I did it as a seven-year-old, you know, and it, it's really, you know, he's right there with the controls. I know he wasn't sleeping, but as a seven-year-old, you're like, I got to get this. Right. So it's pretty cool. Well, he, he did that one because that's freaking cool. And he did it also for, for both of your safety. Um, so what we, what we try to do is if we have non-pilots that ride with us consistently, teaching them how to land and getting us getting the plane out of danger is so important because if he does pass out from epoxy or something like that and he's not able to man the controls, he's kind of throwing you into the deep end. So, hey, if we got to land a plane, you can at least get us on the ground safe. But that is so cool. That's so amazing. Yeah, man, I can't wait for our flight. <laughs> All right, bro, we'll do it. Well, hey, man, uh, this is being shot the day before Thanksgiving. So have an amazing day with your family. And I look forward I'll, to connecting I'll, with you I'll again soon. <laughs> I'll work the rest of the day and I'll take tomorrow off. Uh, I, I hear I, you, man. <laughs> All right, bro, have a great one.
You too. You do the same. Happy Tuesday. All right.